what is happening right now is a symptom. And in procurement, we have a tough time differentiating between symptom and root cause. We typically treat symptoms. You have to peel the layers of the onion to say what allowed this to happen. So then it comes down to things like risk supplier diversification, you know, having multiple sources qualified. Welcome to Modern Business Operations, where we talk with leaders about how ops is adapting to our modern world. Welcome to another episode of Modern Business Operations. I'm your host, Brianna Autry, and today I am joined by the awesome Omid Gamami. He is the CEO of PSCM Institute. Welcome, Omid. Thank you so much for having me. And for the record, you're the first person to ever call me awesome. So thank you. <laughs> I'm sure I won't be the last. So we are live right now on Goldcast. We're also simulcasting to LinkedIn Live, where we have a ton of listeners over there as well. So if anyone has questions in Goldcast, feel free to post them in the Q&A while Omid and I are chatting. LinkedIn Live, feel free to listen in. Unfortunately, don't have Q&A on that platform, but in Goldcast, you could ask some questions to Omid. Then after the fact, this will be published to our top-ranked podcast, Modern Business Operations. We're number one ranked in business operations on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and YouTube. So feel free to subscribe and listen in there if you're interested in hearing from more guests like Omid. Now, today we're talking about procurement, and I'm going to dig into what Omid specializes in in just a minute so that you can understand why we're talking about procurement with this guest. For those who already know this person, I'm sure you can guess why. So we're going to be talking about procurement transformation, specifically shifting from a cost center to a value-added center of profit. And Omid speaks about this a ton. When we spoke prior to the show, just to prep a little bit, I was really interested on your take on the procurement industry as a whole. I find it to be extremely unique, but I also think it's one of those things where people hear it in procurement and they think, well, duh, of course this should be the case, right? But it's one of those things that maybe people haven't put to paper. You're absolutely right. And I think the procurement industry is at sort of an inflection point in a way, just because the pandemic has turned everything on its back. But if I look at the top issues that are facing procurement today, the first one, and by the way, this list are things that I don't hear the profession talking about. It's a little bit akin to high blood pressure. You can be walking around with extremely high blood pressure and have no idea at all. And so this is the high blood pressure list of our profession. The number one problem, and I have kind of five things on my mind, but the number one problem is that our entire profession, all of our processes are architected towards the acquisition of goods of, and services instead of performance results. And that has a huge series of domino effect consequences. The second huge problem, I think, is our entire profession has been trained to try and find savings at the negotiation table with suppliers. And we've gotten more and more sophisticated at doing that. We have electronic bidding and reverse options and all sorts of things that we do, very sophisticated. But at the end of the day, it's still an exercise in supplier profit compression, which is pretty antiquated approach. And the real money, while there's money there, the real money is in product and service design analysis. And we're finding 18% cost savings there on average in terms of analyzing 
how was the product or service designed and was it designed cost effectively or not? The next one is looking at investigative negotiations and value creation. And I don't see the profession doing that enough. And it's a process of finding out what keeps your supplier awake at night. And based on that, inventing solutions to help solve their problems for which they would happily deliver far greater cost savings. And I just have so many examples of where this has been done, providing incredible breakthroughs. Probably the next one is really related to bargaining power. And bargaining power, talking about keeping people awake at night, it keeps procurement awake at night, especially during the pandemic. And we architect strategies to try and negotiate against bargaining power instead of architecting strategies to change and manipulate bargaining power so that it's not so much in our disadvantage. And I think that's where we should be spending time. And then in the final analysis, our profession, unfortunately, is kind of developed in such a way that our processes are mostly reactive. We address symptoms instead of root cause. And again, I could talk about that for a long time. But if you just take the buying of goods and services instead of performance results, that singular action results in an entire profession of, instead of being strategic sourcing professionals, an entire profession of firefighters. And if anyone listening to this doesn't believe me, go ask your staff, go ask your peers what percentage of their time they spend in unplanned activities. And the answer will be between 70 and 90% of every day. And that's a tragedy. It prevents us from being strategic and effective. So much to unpack there. And thanks for jumping into that. I do want to ask, you know, at a high level, what qualifies you to speak on this, right? What's your background? How did you get into the space? All that. So I have an MBA from the University of California system. I spent 18 years at Intel Corporation, where I moved up to running their global corporate purchasing operations. Since then, I've been running the Procurement and Supply Chain Management Institute, commonly known as PSCM Institute. I've written a couple of procurement books that have sold very well, a number of articles. I've been lucky enough to win a number of awards as one of the top procurement influencers in the world. I'm an adjunct professor of business and procurement and done business in 29 plus countries with almost half of the Fortune 100. And I work in the best profession in the world. I love that you ended with that. (laughs) I'm with you there. So we kind of talked about the top issues facing procurement at the moment. Back to our topic, sort of how do procurement savings get valued inside of the corporation and why? You know, this is a big conundrum. And once again, I don't hear people talking about it. And the conundrum has resulted, I'll start with the result, has resulted in us becoming a back office function. CEOs view the company in very simple terms. At the simplest level, you are either a revenue generator or a cost generator. And being in the cost generator function is the kiss of death. And that's where procurement sits right now. No matter what we're telling ourselves, that's where procurement sits right now. And I think a big part of that is the cost savings issue. And that issue is this, that we report and track these massive cost savings, millions of dollars that we report up. But I know firsthand what happens when that gets to the CEO, the CFO, They get really excited. They look at this number. Wow, $136.8 million. That's fantastic. I could use that money. Where is it? Give it to me. Well, you see, we returned that to the business units and well, they spent it all. 
And so it becomes almost monopoly money. And procurement starts to get viewed as this strange function that reports zillions of dollars of cost savings, none of which exist anywhere, none of which exist. And this is hugely problematic. And so we have to crack this nut if we want to be taken more seriously. And until we do, we'll keep reporting up into strange places. You know, procurement rarely reports to the COO where it should be, in my opinion, the CPO Chief Procurement Officer, which should exist as a function always, should be reporting to the COO. But instead, procurement typically reports into operations, finance, accounting, legal, manufacturing, and I've even seen HR. And I asked the company, how in the world do you have procurement reporting to HR? And they said, well, we buy people, so we should buy everything else too. So in this regard, it's in dire need of fixing. I'm with you there. I want to talk more about the CPO position. This might seem like a dumb question. How common is the CPO position? Because I don't see it as often as I would assume I should. It's becoming more prevalent. Sometimes they don't call it CPO. They might be vice president of supply chain or vice president of operations or something. But de facto, it's becoming more common. And I actually don't think that's the problem. I think the problem is where does that person report? There's really two ways you can tell how much procurement is valued. The first is, where does that person report? And if they report something strange, someplace strange, then you know that the executive staff doesn't likely value the function or they don't want to be distracted by it. And the second thing is to read the company's annual report. You know, I spend a lot of time reading annual reports and rarely do I find an annual report that talks about procurement. It's not even on the radar. They don't talk about procurement savings initiatives. They'll talk about cost cutting, which is usually eliminating a cost like people or, you know, something else they wanted to buy that they no longer will. But to actually talk about procurement strategies, it's rarely referenced. And so it's not on the radar today. Not enough anyways. Mm, Okay. That's an interesting point about you can tell. I imagine that a lot of corporations want procurement to kind of hum in the background and not really come up until you need the stats, you need the data, you need the budget, et cetera. Is that what you find to be the case? You know, that's, again, another astute observation on your part. Procurement is a bit like the components inside any machine, at least in terms of how it's viewed. You know, you have a compressor in your refrigerator and you have no desire to know anything about it. You just want it to work. You want your refrigerator to always be cold and always be the right temperature. As a consequence of that with procurement, very frequently the CEO does not hear about procurement unless there's something wrong. And that's really unfortunate. So it's when we can't get supply because of a pandemic thing, the costs are through the roof or something's not available. Then they hear about procurement all day long. But when things are working like a Swiss watch, rarely do the executive staff, the C-suite hear about it. And if they do, it's frequently in the form of savings. And we already talked about the problems there. So the whole approach needs to be different. And we're not very good marketers. And I don't mean to paint a black picture. I love this profession. I've been in it for 30 years. And it's full of super talented people. But we need to approach things differently if we want to be viewed as revenue and profit generators, let's say. We should be viewed as a profit generator inside the company and not as a cost generator. With you. And I want to dig into that in just a second, because that's really what we're here to talk about. But we have a question from someone in our LinkedIn Live audience so far. 
So I want to address that now. Hi, I am from Pakistan and from the construction industry. Due to the volatile economic condition in the country, where currently devaluation happens on an almost weekly basis and prices of major commodities increase drastically, which leaves us as a client with minimum bargaining leverage. How do you think we can negotiate in such a situation? I get this not just from this individual in Pakistan, but from companies all over the world right now. I'll give you an analogy, and I hope nobody takes this wrong, but if you drive to the center of the desert and you didn't bring backup gas and you don't have water, and then you call and say, you know what, I'm in this situation, then that's a really tough place to be. And to be fair, nobody knew we were going to be in this pandemic. But here's how we need to view this. What is happening right now is a symptom. And in procurement, we have a tough time differentiating between symptom and root cause. We typically treat symptoms. You have to peel the layers of the onion to say what allowed this to happen. So then it comes down to things like risk supplier diversification, you know, having multiple sources qualified and then having multiple sources of supply locked up. Getting out of this pandemic is going to be extremely painful and you're going to end up paying two, three, four, five times the market price along the way until we get out. It's to me not so important how you handle the pandemic. What's important to me is after it's over and things normalize, how will you do business differently so that you're not exposed to these kind of risks again? That's what's really important. You get in a car accident and you've got all these injuries and you need to heal and so forth. But what's really important is how are you going to drive differently after that car accident? That's really where the conversation needs to be. So there is no magic solution that is going to completely save you from this situation now. But there's bargaining power levers you can drive. I've seen disruptive sourcing where within the supply chain, business is aggregated to create larger volumes. And then you can also look to see what's keeping your suppliers awake at night. And perhaps there's things you can offer them in the form of a longer contract or helping them access other business within your company or being a gateway as a reference to non-competitors. Things you can do to help make them more successful for which in return, they'll help make you more successful. You're really going to earn your money during this pandemic, but it's going to force you to think differently. And in the end, you'll be better because of it. This episode is brought to you by Tonkin. Tonkin is the operating system for business operations, providing businesses with the building blocks to orchestrate any process with no code or change management required. Contact us at Tonkin.com to learn how you can build complex processes fast. And if you're interested in staying up to date on all things business operations, join the Adaptive Ops community at operations.community. Thank you for addressing that. And thank you, Zafar, for asking something that is extremely relevant at the time. So going back to cost savings, and we're talking about shifting from a cost center to a value-added center of profit. If cost savings go back to the CFO for corporate initiatives, what does that look like in your mind? So what you're talking about basically is if it stops being monopoly savings, because the way we do it today, we give it back to the business unit, the business unit spends it, that money's completely gone. And then we report money that's gone up to the executive staff, right? Again, this is something I hear exactly zero people talking about, but to me, it's a critical issue. So The position I'm trying to take is somehow this money needs to go back to the CFO. 
instead of back to the business unit. We should not be buying more stuff because we saved money. That really makes no sense. It defeats the point of savings, actually. Now, the business units are going to completely be against this. And so the way you have to do it and the way I'm really pushing for it is you have to incentivize them. It has to start being part of performance reviews. You need to start tracking which business units are both hitting their performance targets because you don't want them to give too much back and then the wheels fall off the bus in what they're buying. They have to buy quality things and run their business correctly and not too lean. Incentivize them, track them, give awards, and then the money that goes to the central fund, I think really needs to go to two things. The first thing is it needs to go back to EBIT, to earnings before interest and taxes. And when we start allocating some of it to EBIT, as a corporation, then procurement becomes a profit center and becomes much more recognized. And then we'll start to get funded like sales. Sales has much more resources than us. They have better tools. They have better data. They have better systems. They have better everything. And they're sitting on the other side of the negotiation table and we're supposed to compete. So that will help us gain a competitive advantage. We'll get resource better. All sorts of wonderful things will happen if we can make contributions to EBIT. Then the second thing is kind of a PR move. I think a percentage of these funds needs to go to the employee base. For instance, build a subsidized daycare or a fully funded daycare or a much nicer gym or you know something that makes the company posh to work for. And if that's publicly communicated internally as being, hey, this was funded by procurement savings and from the business units, then it changes perception. I think if we can do those things, that's going to be transformative. So I'm really trying to push this as an initiative. And I haven't seen companies do it yet. We need to start going this direction. I'm with you. And again, it just seems like something where you feel like, oh, duh. It's like the invention of rideshare. You're like, well, why didn't we think of this before? But it's something that someone has to promote and push in order for it to occur, right? In order for that change to take place. I don't like the term push just because we do too much of it. It implies you're trying to force your agenda. We should offer a value proposition that is intrinsically appealing. There has to be no pushing at all. That Hey, we've been able to drive this initiative and look what you've got starting Monday. Now you can take your kids for free to this, you know, whatever it is. That has intrinsic value. Nobody has to push any sort of agenda. And I think that organic public relations move works much better than chest pounding or whatever else you want to call it. I'm with you. We have another question from our LinkedIn Live audience from Kashif. And Kashif, I apologize if I butchered your name just there, but did the best I could. Greetings. I am Kashif. Is there a way to incorporate accounting changes to move from cost center to profit center? In ERP, procurement treated as a cost center instead of a profit center? Okay, so there was a number of questions there. I kind of feel like I addressed this a little bit. By an ERP definition, every business unit is a cost center, right? You're not going to get away from that. And from an accounting perspective, every business unit is a cost center. I'm not talking about accounting definitions. I am talking about corporate perceptions. And that's what we need to influence, not the accounting definitions. We need to influence perceptions. And so today we're a little bit of a back office function, and we're definitely viewed as a cost center. And even if people don't say it's a cost center, again, I'm talking about perceptions and not accounting. What you have to pay attention to is 
not the words that executives say, but the actions they take. If you come up to them and say, we can save this much more money if you give us 20 more headcount, are they giving it to you or are they not? If the company starts to tighten their belt, is procurement included in that belt tightening? Procurement spends 2% of their time in training. Do you know how much sales spends? 20%. 10 times more time than us in training. So are they willing to invest in more training to build your capabilities so that you can generate more profit? So I encourage you, Kashif, not to look at all at the accounting perspective. That's, to me, irrelevant. It's the corporate perception and treatment that I care about. That's really the angle we need to take. Okay, great. Thank you for answering that question. And this sort of is with the theme of the previous question. Why does procurement have issues negotiating internally? Opinion. So we sort of talked about external negotiation. I want to talk about internal negotiation, which is arguably more important. So the interesting thing is we spend all our time focusing on external negotiations. But in our experience, in my experience, external negotiations almost always fail because of internal negotiations failure. And the challenge is, you know, we're really at a disadvantage in procurement. And that disadvantage is that we've only been taught to negotiate with money. That's a huge advantage in negotiations. But the disadvantage is we've never been taught to negotiate without money. I'm going to say that again. We've never been taught to negotiate without money. So it's a double-edged sword. That's where the disadvantage comes in. All the other business units have to negotiate without money, and they learn how to negotiate better as a consequence. Most of the world leaders, most company CEOs, something like 70% or more are firstborn children. Why do you think that is? It's because we task the firstborn children to take care of the younger ones without any authority, not to mention without money, but without authority. We thought, make sure your brother and sisters are ready for school. Make sure they, they have their lunches. And so they learn how to influence at a very young age and they become the leaders of tomorrow. In procurement, since we're only taught how to negotiate with money, which gives us a huge bargaining power advantage. Then when we have to go internally and negotiate, it becomes much harder because suddenly our pockets are completely empty. I think the mistake we make is we focus on our agenda instead of the business unit's agenda. That's ultimately our mistake. We talk about procurement policy and requirements and practices and bidding timelines and all this kind of stuff, which are all hugely important. But why are we talking about it? Why do we need to tell them? Because the more you tell them these things, the more they're going to say, okay, this person's not interested in my agenda. They're interested in their agenda. So I'm just going to engage them late. If you want to be a better influencer, focus on what the other person cares about. Are you reading their status reports? Are you deeply understanding their success metrics and what they're trying to accomplish as a business unit? Not what they want to buy, but what they want to accomplish. And are you really comprehending that and architecting a negotiation and contracting strategy to solve business unit problems instead of buying things for the business unit? Those are two totally different places. And so if we can make that shift, then organically end users will engage us early while the horses couldn't stop them. But if we continue to just shove procurement agendas down their throat, consciously or whether we're aware that we're doing that or not, we'll never get engaged early. And we'll always have to push this rope uphill and force them to use us and rely on policy. And 
that's a bad way to influence anybody. So it needs to be a pull method where they engage us because they want to instead of a push method, which is they engage us because they have to. Right. And if they engage you because they have to, they're going to try and circumvent whatever processes you have in place if they're not working as quickly as they want them to. Well said. And it goes back to your point about not sort of pushing your agenda. You don't want to push an agenda. You want to provide value where you can, and then folks will come to you. Absolutely. Yeah. So there's time for a couple more questions. So if folks in our LinkedIn Live audience or Goldcast audience have questions for Omid, I'll continue to chat with him until we're at time. This is from Demetrios. Do you believe that procurement should focus more into specialization, i.e. technical procurement, in order to influence more and gain more power? That's an outstanding question. I will say this. You're going to start seeing more and more procurement engineers. It helps tremendously to have the technical knowledge to be able to speak the end user's language and so forth. But I will also say that I don't think it's required for success. I think what we need is a shared set of metrics with engineering and R&D and so forth. And I've seen the companies that do that get much better results because then you're moving towards common goals. But I think what we need to do more of is we need to be process stewards. And so you can curate the procurement process so that the end users are architecting the demand for performance results and architecting the demand for cost and total cost without having technical understanding. You just need that technical understanding of the procurement process and how to accomplish those things. And you can do that, I promise you, without having technical understanding of what it is you're buying. And it's that design for performance results and design for total cost. And if we can drive those strategies with the business unit collaboratively, nothing can stop you in this profession and you can do it without technical knowledge of what you're buying. Having said that, I think you're going to see more and more technical people in procurement as well. I think that's an astute observation. We have one more question coming in. Before I address this last question, is there anything you'd like to plug? What's the best way for people to get in touch with you after the fact if they have additional questions? It seems like they do. Well, I've got one piece of advice and then I'll do a quick plug on me. My piece of advice is, you know, we have so many steering committees and management review committees and commodity structures, and people always want to get approval to go and drive different things. And, you know, if you're going to wait around for people to crown you, it's going to take forever to get results in this career. You need to crown yourself. And that's really my advice to you. You can crown yourself. And I made a career doing that. And you'll be better for it. You'll drive better innovation. I also want to say that I'm proud of the CPSDM certification that my institute has been driving now for a number of years. Almost 50% of the Fortune 100 has invested in it. And unlike other very good certification programs that focus on the A to Z of procurement, we do a deep drill down on the core areas that transform careers and transform procurement departments. That's what we're all about. So I encourage you to go to psdminstitute.com to find out for yourself and to join the best in the world today. Awesome. You heard it here first. If you're in procurement, head over there. There's one more question. This is from Shalish. And again, I apologize if I butchered your name, Shalish. While hiring procurement buyers, which three qualities should one look for? Now I get a really tough one. One of them, I think, has got to be the interpersonal skills and the ability to influence. The second one, 
I think attitude is huge in this profession. You're going to have to go outside your company to get better. That's the bottom line. It's not allowing yourself to be inbred. You have to allocate time to do research on your own or to get training on your own if your company is not providing it from the outside. And that's what made the huge difference in my career. So the more you're inbred and the less you understand what other companies are doing successfully, not successfully, and learning from that, the more challenging things will be for you. And then I think the last thing is the ability to really see things with simplicity. One of the biggest problems in procurement today is we're complicating things. And end users do the same. We keep looking for how do we add more to this to make it perfect? How do we add more features? How do we make this process more robust? One of my favorite quotes is from a French author, historian, pilot. His name is Antoine de Saint-Exploré. I probably butchered it. But he said, perfection is achieved not when there is nothing left to add, but when there's nothing left to take away. And I found this to be so valuable in procurement. So it's process simplification. If you have the capability to see through all the details and all the garbage and really look at processes and systems and negotiation strategies and everything and make them as simple as possible while still achieving the objective, then the profession gets a lot more capable. And we need people who can drive process simplification. Today, as I go inside companies, I just see the processes getting more and more and more complex. And I'm starting to wonder how they get work done. We should be driving towards process simplicity. So somebody who has an eye towards that, I think is going to bring a, a lot of value inside of companies. Those critical thinking skills that people often overlook. Super insightful conversation, Omid. I could talk to you for an hour, but unfortunately, we do have to end it here. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat to our audience. And if you want to check out Omid, you can find him on LinkedIn. You're also on Twitter, right? I imagine. So find him on LinkedIn, Twitter, anywhere else you recommend people get in touch with you. Just go to my website at pscminstitute.com and they'll be able to reach me through there. All right. Go to pscminstitute.com to chat with Omid. And thank you all so much for listening in. And thank you, Omid, again, for spending some time with us. Thank you so much, Brianna. I super enjoyed it. Have a good one. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Modern Business Operations. You can see the show notes and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at tonkin.com slash mbopod. Thank you for listening and be sure to subscribe for updates on future episodes. 